Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. Uh, we got a question for you all to get started with today. Uh, again, we believe in conversation here, so find four or five people around you if you feel safe. If not, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to just deal with it and have a conversation. And so uh, online, also, uh, we're going to kick you on some groups. Who do you follow and why? Open-ended question. That could be social media. That could be life. It's on you. Enjoy. Around my house, I got two little kids who are in elementary school. Little girl who's not quite there yet. So it is summer break, my friends. Yes. Does everyone remember that energy? Do you remember that? Remember elementary school felt like you were there for 100 years, right? Junior high went a little quicker. High school, you're like blink of an eye. College, if you did it, you're like, I think I was there. But elementary school, just like this span of time that never ended, right? And when you got to summer break, it was like everything. I remember that Monday, you know, my first Monday of summer last week when my kids were out, I could hear the little pitter-patter at 6.30 a.m. And we have no cares as parents. They have no educational learning to do and we get to sleep in a little bit. I don't care if they're downstairs just eating chocolate and pouring soda down their throats. They turn cartoons on, and they had nothing to get to, and we had nothing to get to, and it was a dream, my friends. And I think there's something about summer break that we have such an anticipation for, not only because it's fun and it's exciting, but sometimes I think, and this is what I'm curious about, that summer break is really exciting for a lot of of kids because the educational system just doesn't work for them. There's so many kids, they're just not built for it, which saddens me because I love learning. I love education. I know incredible teachers, some of you who are in this room. And there's something sometimes about students that maybe we're not giving them the classroom that they need to succeed in life. That so much of the classrooms that we give people is about memorizing a set of information, utilizing that to take a test, and then forgetting that information for the rest of your life. Now, that is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus was a way of being Jewish. And in the Jewish world, there was this sense of communal learning. There was this sense of getting into things, of experiencing, of remembering your stories of old as a community. Stories like Passover were not just stories that were told in a classroom. They were meals, and there was liturgy, and there was old people and young people and sharing food and remembering in songs and saying, this is the God that we serve. This is our story of liberation, that we have those moments in the church as well where we can learn, where we share things more experientially. But sometimes even in the world of church, what it's become is this information and data dump about can you memorize a certain amount of Bible verses or can you know a certain type of theology? And if you can have this certain type of information in your head, then you'll be successful. But that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is experiential wisdom. The way of Jesus is, no, you need to get into this thing. In Jewish society, disciples were made in a very specific way. That every kid from the age of four to seven would read the Torah. The Torah are the first five books of the Bible. Everyone got excited when I said that on a Sunday morning, I know. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Big Numbers fans out there, I know. 
And they would study, they would learn, and they would memorize it. And it was this educational learning that would take place where everybody had this kind of same data points to operate off of. That way, when you were doing ordinary life together, grandma could tell you a story. It's like, oh, you know what that's like? That's like when Moses and the people were in the wilderness. And then your little six-year-old self would say, oh, I get how that works together. Because it was just embedded into the way that you lived. And then from eight to 10 years old, some students would move on. And then after they memorized it, they would learn to ask questions. Isn't that interesting? They said, now that you know the things, now you need to break it apart. Ancient Judaism was practicing deconstruction. They were, and you thought this was a new thing because of the liturgists. No. This was going on long before Rob Bell ever wrote a book. That questioning is a part of our faith tradition where we ask questions, where we wonder, where we figure out things, where we doubt that's what it means to be a follower of this Jesus. And then later on what would happen is if you were a good student, you would choose a rabbi, or more specifically, a rabbi would choose you. And now you would learn to think and walk and talk as the rabbi does. You've learned the information. You've constructed some things. You deconstructed it by asking questions. And now you reconstruct by following this rabbi. But only the best of the best got to follow a rabbi. And usually the best of the best had already picked a rabbi by 12 or 13 years old. And so when we get to the stories of Jesus calling these disciples, his first students, they were the dropouts. They were not the ones who made it into the private schools and passed all the tests. These were the people who didn't cut it, and that's where they were fishermen or carpenters or doing whatever in the world because they didn't study and learn in that same way. But Jesus wants to disrupt the system all of the time, that what we're reconstructing with Jesus is how do we follow in this season of our lives? How do we become disciples? Disciples feels like such an old school word, and disciples is rooted in the word discipline, and for most of us, discipline feels negative. Then when we were disciplined, it meant that something went wrong, and maybe I was in a corner, or the pants were coming down, and the butt was getting spanked. I don't know what kind of home you grew up in, I'm just admitting to some things, right? Discipline wasn't helpful in the world that I grew up in, but discipline just means student, That's what the word disciple means, that you become a student by following this way of being. And so today, if we're going to think about Jesus and reconstructing Jesus, today, if we are going to be better students in a city like Los Angeles and tell the biggest story of God in 2021, we're going to think about some things. So we're going to talk about school's out for the summer. Then we got to think about three boxes. And if we can do that, then we got to talk about the chef show again. I brought it up a few weeks ago, but I can't get enough of John Favreau and Roy Choi. Come on, let's go. And an amen. Yes, seven of you are with me. The rest of you, we will get you there. Human to human. And if we can be human to human, then we can talk about being present. And if we can be present, then we can talk about the extraordinary. And if we can talk about the extraordinary, then we can risk some things. And if we can risk some things, then we can talk about how it's like to be known, then what it's like to be unknown, and then how we become known once again. This is the state of knowing that we all really want. And if we can do that in our life, then we can talk about, again, what it means to follow in 2021. The way of Jesus, again, is experiential learning. 
in the chef show. I love it so much. Chef show is one of those things, like if I'm having a bad day, I'll just turn it on. It's with Jean Favreau and Roy Choi. Jean Favreau, right, is this incredible director. He's directed all kinds of things like Swingers and Iron Man. Um, he's this Jewish kid. Well, now he's a grown man, but he grew up as a Jewish kid from Brooklyn, and he's doing this show with Roy Choi, a first or second generation Korean American who started the Kogi Trucks. And together they formed a show. And what's so beautiful about it is that John is constantly learning from Roy's life about how to be a chef. And of course, Roy is also learning from John. But how you learn as a cook is no one tells you to cook by reading the book, thinking about the ingredients, and then will tell you how to cut and chop things by reading it. That would be crazy learning. No, how do you learn to cook? Roy is so gracious in this show with John. He'll say, okay, I want you to mince these onions. And John will always ask, well, what do you mean by that? And Roy will come over and he'll get the onion out and he'll begin to dice it in a certain way. And hey, it looks like this. That's how we want to learn. We want somebody who's experienced it, who knows so much about food that they can deconstruct the thing. And they say, oh, it's not just tacos. It's Korean tacos, my friends, right? They're reconstructing something new and powerful in the world. This is what you've been told this food group looks like, but what if we give it a whole new set of flavors? That's what's going on in the show that John is learning from Roy Choi in this experiential wisdom. And I believe that's what we want for our lives. We want to experience Jesus. We want to experience God. You might be in a complete sense of deconstruction right now and you don't know what you believe or who you believe in or what's going on. But again, you chose to show up to a church on a Sunday morning because there's a part of you or maybe a lot of you that wants to experience God that knows that there's more to your humanity, that the divine and the human are interlinked and that the best of your humanity is found in your spirituality and that your spirituality reflects and shows the best of humanity, and that these things are in a constant dance with one another. That's what you know and believe somewhere at this gut level of who you are. And Jesus is leading us into these things. So follow along with me in Matthew chapter four as Jesus calls some disciples. As Jesus was Walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. As going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. There's all kinds of experiential wisdom going on here. There's a whole nother way of being a student that is present in this story. I think the thing that jumps out at me first is this idea, oh, I should have got a way thicker marker, but okay. Is that how you spell presence? No, I think I did it wrong. English teachers, no C there, right? Is that right? That's wrong? There is a C there? There's no C there. Okay, yeah. This is why I speak for a living. This is why I speak for a living. Presence. Perfect. Just like that. All kinds of sermon analogies there, but there's, I'm on a commercial break now. Now I'm back. Presence. The beauty of presence in this story is it's the presence of Jesus that shows up. This is what we're reminded as, as followers, as students of Jesus. This rabbi constantly finds us. How good is that story? That we live in a world where we've been told so often that it's somehow our capacity to go find God. 
that religion is our capacity to somehow go figure out what God needs. In some ways, we were even told that God was mad at us, and God was so mad at us that God needed to kill God's own son so that God would be happy with us again, and now he loves you, wink, wink, as long as you do all of the right things. It was a weird story. It didn't feel like good news. The story of Jesus is good news. It's not rooted in you being bad at all. It's rooted in the reminder of your goodness and calling you back to that, reminding you that you've always been made in the image of God and that through the process of being a student of Jesus, you are transformed more and more into the likeness of God. I say this all of the time, but if you would like some good Wikipedia reading, Google theosis, this is what the church believed for the first thousand years of our history. It was about you being transformed into the likeness of God. It wasn't rooted in substitutionary atonement and that Jesus needed to die for you because you were bad. Don't believe me. Trust Wikipedia. Don't believe Wikipedia. Plenty of authors out there. You get my point. And we're back to presence. Presence is powerful because Jesus shows up. That's what takes place in this story, that Jesus shows up into the ordinary. That's what's going on here. That Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. That the beauty of Jesus is this fancy word for incarnation. Say incarnation with me on a Sunday morning. Incarnation Incarnation is simply the idea that the fullness of God and the fullness of humanity dwells in Jesus. And that who we are in God is who we are in Jesus. That the fullness of God and the fullness of humanity is within us. That the divine has always been in us is what Jesus shows us. And that what Jesus shows is, I want you to come follow me. You're coming to follow my way of being. You're coming to follow this rabbi. I'm showing up into your world and I'm going to show you an experiential way to be human that's gonna free you to be human at a whole new level. That we say this in here all of the time. The most difficult job that you will ever have is to be human. This is what you will spend a lifetime learning. You may be a coach, you may be an accountant, you may be a chef, you may be a mom or a dad or a this or a that, but at the end of the day, it is your journey of humanity that is informing all of these other things. There's a richness and a depth to your experience that the world needs. And the richness and depth of your life adds to the richness and to the depth of the entire human experience. And so Jesus is saying, come follow that. Come follow this one. Jesus calls himself, more often than not, the son of man. Jesus generally doesn't call himself the son of God. We tend to call him that or other people call Jesus that. The son of man just simply means this, the human one. Jesus says, come follow the human one. Let me show you how being human can actually be. And then he says this, and then I'm gonna go make you, I'm gonna go allow you to go catch some people, which is a way of saying this. Now you're gonna go see their humanity. The more that you follow me, the more that you follow the human one, the more that it exposes you to the humanity of everybody else. Jesus didn't come and say, the more that you follow me, you will memorize Bible verses. The more that you follow me, you will memorize more worship songs. Those things are not bad. I am not mocking those things. I am saying we have limited what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus is saying, no, your humanity, all of it is on the table and following me. That's what I want. And the more that you begin to love all of your humanity, the more that you begin to celebrate and cherish and heal all of your humanity, then guess what you do? You begin to celebrate everyone else's humanity as well. 
And so when Jesus says, follow me, it's not into a classroom to learn more Greek and Hebrew. Jesus says, follow me because you hate Samaritans, so we are gonna go dine with some Samaritans, my friends. Jesus says, oh, you've been told that somebody who's queer is living in sin. Let me go take you into their homes and see, no, these are beautiful human beings who are not living in sin. Pick your season and time. The church has always said, someone over here is guilty, wrong, or bad, but that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus always frees us to see people's humanity, to see the truth of who they have always been, and that the presence of God finds us and invites us into that. And as we move from that presence, then what I think that allows us to do is to become present. This one I know how to spell, I promise. There is the presence of God, and then there's our capacity to be present. Here's what I think happens in life. When we don't follow the human one, when we're so entrapped by our own insecurities and our own egos, and because we're hurt, we begin to hurt other people, it's difficult for us to see other human beings as they are. As we follow the human one, as we follow this way of Jesus, as we begin to see all the nooks and crannies of who we are, good, bad, and different, and how God loves us, how God sees all of our imperfections and says, oh, that's what it means to be human. I didn't call you to be perfect. I called you to be human. As we begin to see this about ourselves, then I think that we begin to live into the present in a different way. We're not constantly living in the past and we're not constantly fearful of the future because we're like, oh my gosh, here, right now in this moment, I'm so present because I'm so loved and I'm so known and I'm so safe. And because of that, I begin to get to see other people and I get to be present in their lives as well. That as we encounter the presence of God, it allows us to be present in our own life. And the beauty of this story of being present that we see in the story is that Jesus allows us to be present in the ordinary things. That where Jesus met these disciples in the story was not in the temple, was not in rabbi training school. It was in the ordinary places of their lives. And isn't that true of your life? That sometimes the most magical moments that you had is that God met you there. God met you when you were singing Halo. Amen. Sometimes you need a Chris Tomlin song, praise God. Sometimes you need big, big house. (laughs) That you know that is weird, but you know it. And sometimes you need it. And sometimes you need Halo, and sometimes you need a hike, and sometimes you just need to be held, and sometimes you need to watch the chef show. Sometimes you just need to swim naked. That was a weird one. I don't know where that came from. (laughs) Just... Freudian, I don't know, just was there. As apparently, I'm not living into my true self yet, people, but I'll Instagram about it. You're welcome. And that allows us to be present in a different way. And then what happens is, as we begin to experience the presence of God, then we begin to begin to be present in our own worlds, and we begin to see the ordinary and how beautiful that it is. That the ordinary is, in fact, extraordinary. That the ordinary is always extraordinary. And then we get to live on the other side of it over here. That for so many of us in our spiritual journeys, sometimes in our sexual journeys, we think that we need to do like some extra like crazy things and this is how it's gonna happen, right? This is where the magic's gonna be. If I can just go and get a third day concert for two hours, like I'm gonna get so high on Jesus. I remember those days. Or you need something in relationships because the ordinary is not working for you. If I can just have relationships like this and we're on the bachelor flying in a helicopter and eating dinners on mountains, how many of those people are still together? (laughs) 
Do you know that in relationships that couples tend to say that their best sexual years is in their third and fourth decade? Oh, isn't that interesting? Why? Because they found commitment at this point. They found that, oh, life is about going to Trader Joe's. Sexy is about when we make eggs in the morning. Come on, baby. Right? Yeah. It's not about how nice those abs are. No one has abs left at that point. And it's a gift. There's just intimacy. You're like, oh, I will. I won't. Uh, There's intimacy. There's safety. There's trust. That we learn that, oh, the magic was always in the ordinary. And that as we encounter the presence of Jesus, as Jesus leads us into our humanity, as we become more present, then we learn that the ordinary is where the magic was the entire time. That Jesus found them just doing their lives. And in the present of doing their lives is where Jesus allowed them to see what God might have for them in their lives. Where might God be showing up in the ordinary parts of your life right now? Where might magic be happening right in front of you? Where are you longing for the extraordinary, but it's already there because it's the ordinary that's just right in front of your eyes. You just don't have eyes to see it yet. Where might God already be showing up? Where might God's presence have already infiltrated your life? That God is not coming and going, but God is always there. It's just about us seeing and us hearing what God's doing. How might that change the way that we follow God if we begin to see that it's not here or there, that it's everywhere and always, that God is always with us in our journeys in life? And that sometimes by being present, it actually leads to presence. Sometimes as we just live in a way we're accepting the moment where we're just living into the ordinary, we begin to have eyes for the presence. Sometimes God shows up in ways that we weren't expecting, and then it's a reverse circle, and it shows us to the present. But there's two other things that I see in the story that are incredibly powerful about being a student of Jesus. And one that I love is that they all took a risk. I think as human beings, we're terrified to take a risk. And isn't that the story of the people of God? I am going to free you from Pharaoh. I am going to release you from these chains. And we're going to take a risk, and we're going into the wilderness. And what did they say? I don't know. Maybe we should go back to Egypt, God. Like, you know, we had, like, clothes and food there. And I don't know why they talked like Screech, but that's apparently how they talked. (laughs) And you get worried. Because so much of risk is about the unknown. But it says immediately they got up and they went. They experienced the presence of God in the present moments of their life and they were able to risk something big. They were able to step into the unknown. Human beings are terrified of the unknown. We are, every single human being. It's why people will stay in abusive relationships sometimes. It's why people will stay in bad jobs. It's why people will stay in systems. Now let me flip that. It's also why systems keep people there. It's also why abusers keep people there. It's also why bad jobs keep people there because they know that people are terrified of the unknown. And God constantly wants to come in and free us to liberate us. And part of the risk of it is is stepping out into the unknown and the unknown, guess what it may be filled with? Wilderness. It may be filled with you meeting people that you once thought were evil and now you'll realize that they're beautiful and good, that we all have Samaritans in our lives. We're all biased. Some of you are like, no, I'm so woke. You're biased too. We've all got our things, and God is constantly saying, what if you risk to see this human being as a human being? What if you risk and you came out? How many of that is your stories? But this is what I'm known as. How many of you would risk in your passions? You live in Los Angeles. So many of you are in this room, and you move to this city because this city is the land of magic. 
man, and I came here, and this is what I'm known as, and this is who I'm about, and if I step over here, I, I don't know who I'm going to be anymore. How many of you want to leave that job right now? How many of you, that relationship isn't for you? How many of you that the risk has been knocking at your door, but you are so uncertain? Risk is another way of saying faith. Faith is not certitude. It's stepping into the unknown. They had no idea all that was ahead in following Jesus, but they went and they followed. They experienced the presence of something bigger in the present moment of their ordinary, and then they risked into something larger as students of God. Then my challenge for all of us, including my own life, is where might God be asking us to risk right now? that we just celebrated yesterday, right? Loving Day. Because so many couples risked. They risked. It's brutal that there were systems that even made them have to risk. And they risked so that people today, interracial couples, could get married. They stepped into the unknown against legal systems, against cultural systems, against public opinion, and said, our love is love. There's people at Stonewall, right, who risked. There's people in every major revolt or revolution, they risk into the unknown. And it's only by stepping into that unknown that they make a new known and a new reality for everybody else. I wish the world was not this way, hear me. I wish that it didn't have to be those that were victims and those that were oppressed and those that were suppressed have to be the ones that free themselves. And a lot of times it is. But the story of that is that God is with you. The story of that is that you are the ones that risk, that we are the ones that risk together to change the world and show the new world. And as we show a world what it can be, then hopefully we bring other people along. You create allies. You show people a better way to be human. And then I think where we finally see in the story is that because of risk, that you're finally able to follow. And following looks so much different. Following isn't a simple set of concepts that we just have in our head. It's in our capacity to memorize Bible verses. It's in our capacity to live into a whole different way. Jesus says this about following in Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. There's this whole other sense of risk that Jesus is bringing about. This is not some like sadistic thing that Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that oddly enough, the places that you experience the most resurrection are sometimes the places that you feel like there's the most death. Sometimes the places that you feel like you have no capacity to move on, sometimes it's in the suffering that God resurrects us into something new. That every 12-step room is filled with people like this. I never wished this upon anybody. I never wanted this for my life, but this is my story and my gift for the world now so that other people may be freed, so that future generations won't have to go through the same wildernesses that I did. And that together we're risking and following Jesus in a new way. Together we're saying there's a broader and bigger story of God out there. And we no longer have to do it those ways. And together we're going to live into a larger story over here. And then in Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. The story is eventually this, that when you follow, you go and live and you allow this thing to leak into every fabric and part of your life. That again, the definition of being a Christian is our capacity to see Christ in everything. That's how we become better disciples of Jesus. As we experience the presence of God in our lives, as we see the goodness of God in the ordinary and present, as we all have to risk at some measure in our lives in big or small ways, 
what we eventually move into is our incredible capacity to follow this human one. And where we follow this human one is not into the heavens, my friends. Where we follow this human one is that we bring the eternal and that reality here and now. We change the world from the inside out. We're not trying to escape this thing. We're trying to transform and heal this thing. We're trying to mature the world. We're celebrating Pride Month so that decades from now, no kid ever has to come out. The kids just get to be themselves, that you get to love whoever you love, that all of the different things that we liberate and celebrate in the world, that we're saying, hopefully there's a day where that we celebrate that thing in another way, not because we're still in the struggle, because it is our way of being. This is what Jesus calls us into, that being a student of Jesus is hopefully getting bigger in your life. Hopefully you're reconstructing it and asking bigger questions. And hopefully God continues to show up in all of the ordinary. Hopefully God continues to show up in all of the places of your life that you never thought God could be. Together we get to be students with one another. You're gonna get into groups and you're gonna answer this question. What's one thing you can practice as a student of Jesus? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.